Julie. Hi, Tony. We sound so calm now. We do. <laughs> so, so it's we story sound time. great. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. just going on a little train of thought. I'm recording with Julie on Zoom, which is not the original platform that we normally record on. And that's because I have a new computer and that's fun. And even then we were talking about you have a new computer and how long does it take to then find the time to set it up? Like you, you even have things balanced upon your new computer, I heard. It's sitting my lap, my old gross laptop that the screen is messed up. So I'm seeing like double right now, but I know that it works. I'm using that. And I've had my MacBook Air for about a week and a half. I did open and see what color it was. Okay. That's so that really was good. Progress, yeah. But it feels very overwhelming to get it out and to make sure I can do all the things on it and make sure all the right things are transferred. And it just hasn't, but I did, I did use my AirPods today, my new AirPods that I've had for a week that I haven't even opened those up. Cause then what if the Bluetooth doesn't connect? Like, nice. I don't know. So I'm just proud of you that you're on your new computer that you did that. Good job. <laughs> okay. But we, uh, we almost, it's almost time to go. So this might be a two minute episode. I'm joking. We'll make sure that we do the whole thing, but it was because once I started and you, yeah, I was very proud of myself for getting after it within a few days after I got my computer because I get the computer because of all the other frustrations. And we had talked a little bit before about, and this is where I know there are going to be people that say, well, I have this as well. And it's not ADHD. And there's some truth to that. But today we're going to talk about the, even the paradoxes that live within the world of ADHD. But for this one, I knew full and well that new computer and some new internet stuff would help so much. But then I kept finding other things to do instead of that. And then when I started doing it, then, I mean, the fact we're on Zoom was I'm sitting there texting you because I can't get the new whatever descript stuff that I use to work. And then it's telling me to go to some other site. Then I'm frustrated beyond belief. And I noticed that and I calmed down, which I'm very proud of. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I'll go to our old friend Zoom. So if I Zoom up, well, it's a new computer. So I have to install something and then I go to share something and then I have to install another thing. And so then finally I send you the link and then I'm texting somebody that uh, I'm going to be talking to next. And then I just say, where's Julie? And I realize I never hit send. So that's uh, that was a fun thing. And then you said, and I love this when we got on, when we got on here that, what was it that you said about knowing that this you have ADHD? This is what I said. Okay. I said, truly, there's nothing that has made me more convinced than I have ADHD, not even the psychologist diagnosing me, than to having a conversation with you and you explaining what happens in your life. That's it. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I take that as a compliment. You had mentioned, because we got good feedback from the rejection sensitivity episode, Mm -hmm. but when you were listening to it, you had a different experience, it sounds like. Yeah. So it was interesting. Listening back to rejection sensitivity was very interesting because first of all, I listened to it and I was like, this is like the best episode we've ever done. Second, I was like, I am having rejection sensitivity about this episode on rejection sensitivity because (sighs) in it, there's a lot of stuff that naturally happens with rejection sensitivity that I think I developed tools to combat, which is great. But because of that, a lot of the things you brought up, there were many things I was like, ah, I don't do that. And then as I listened back, I was like, oh, but naturally, like what I naturally feel, Mm -hmm. there's so much armor up to, I because I don't want to feel that way, but naturally do I feel that way? Yeah. And so it was interesting how I felt kind of emotional listening to it Did you? because I was out of the chair. I was yeah. out of the chair and I was just listening and I wasn't a co-host and I was listening to me grapple with it on air as I'm like, well, maybe it's a way of, I don't know. And it was just crazy listening back. I was like, whoa, yeah. yeah. 
Do you remember anything in particular that stood out of the things that like you have done as a coping mechanism or as a defense mechanism that maybe doesn't look crazy to the outside world? I think you talked about, oh, like when people are laughing, assuming they're laughing at you or if they're being critical, assuming it's critical of you. So to me, admitting that that thought goes through my mind, I get afraid of that feeling like clingy or codependent or insecure yeah. And those are all things that I really don't want to be like. Yeah. And that's where my brain goes. And so I do I naturally get insecurity about that kind of stuff? 100%. Do yeah. I show that? No way. No way. No. Okay, you know it's a, a, I appreciate that example cuz I have to tell you that this is where I think it just comes up on a daily basis and uh so I was um you have this wonderful hair. We've been talking about this. I have no hair. And so if I go a couple of days and I have a stubble on my head um, last week because it was getting a little colder here and I ride this uh, kind of a fun, I call it a tricycle to work. It's like a three wheel motorcycle thing. And so I'm wearing this hoodie that's really soft. And when I take it off, um, I just don't think about it at all. And I came home and I had taken it off and my wife kept pointing out this fuzz on my head and I'm like trying to get it off my head, but I'm not taking the time to really look. And then one of my daughters comes down and she's like, yeah, what's that fuzz on your head? And and those are those, I know it sounds so silly, but I noticed that I felt like all of a sudden, like I had to defend myself or that I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm so dumb. What's this fuzz on my head? And the, I feel like that's some of that core of rejection sensitivity. And at first I even thought, did I have this on my head all day? No, no, I didn't. I wouldn't have. Cause I, you know, I just put this on, on my way home. And, but then even just the acceptance of it, who cares, or maybe that's a little too simplistic, but I just remember being able to just have fun with that, with my family and such the smallest thing about like, oh my gosh, like that's so funny. And and even though deep inside, I'm thinking they think I'm a horrible person because I have fuzz on my head from my hoodie. And I'm a 53-year-old you know, human being, father of this child and married to my wife for 33 years and love everything and successful and whatever. And then I'm like, I think they hate me because I have this fuzz on my head. Right? It's silly. Right. It is, yeah. it is silly. Yeah. Well, I'm ex- should I introduce our conversation? Yeah, today? let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. So I'm excited. We are on number three of things you didn't know you didn't know about ADHD. We're going to be doing five of them. And yeah. today is the paradoxical nature of ADHD, which is fascinating. And I'm excited for us to talk about. Okay. And we even practiced on a different thing of where I was sharing a screen. And so we were reading of these things together because I think this is so fascinating of a concept. And I'm going to give all all credit to uh, the book ADHD 2.0, which I also call the scriptures. And that's from two doctors, Hollowell and Rattay. Paradoxical tendencies. I, I love this. In less clinical terms, the book ADHD 2.0 says it helps to think of ADHD as a complex set of contradictory or paradoxical tendencies, a lack of focus combined with the ability to super focus. A lack of direction combined with highly directed entrepreneurialism, a tendency to procrastinate combined with a knack for getting a week's worth of work done in two hours, impulsive, wrong-headed decision-making combined with inventive, out-of-the-blue problem-solving, interpersonal cluelessness combined with uncanny intuition and empathy, and the list goes on. So first of all, did any of those stand out or resonate with you? Oh yeah, all of them. And what's interesting is, especially the genius part. I mean, I hear genius and that feels like, no, just kidding. (laughs) But what's interesting is as I listened to him, what I thought of is I thought of when people think, oh, well, like, oh, that's ADHD too. When people do kind of minimize this diagnosis, I can have some empathy for why, because it is such a paradoxical thing, 
right? And it's why it's been confusing for me. But you look at it and it's almost like paradoxes of extremes. Yes. Yeah. Right? Where most people I think are more in the middle. And maybe that's more what ADHD is, right? Is the paradoxical extremes of these things. Absolutely. No, that's so well said. And so, so if we kind of look at those two, I know we've joked a lot about the procrastination thing. And I think we even talked about it a little bit, maybe in one of the other episodes, but I really believe strongly in, in almost like an acceptance at times of the procrastination, because now you factor in that rejection sensitivity. And if somebody is spending days thinking, I, I got to get to this thing that's due on Friday, but if they're used to doing it Friday morning, they may sit there and beat themselves up Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, thinking I got to get going on this. But then it's almost like, okay, but this isn't the way I work, you know, and I can't just all of a sudden make myself get motivated because I almost need that dopamine dump of deadline. And that's where I think sometimes the procrastination comes into play. But I don't know. Do you have that? Like, I I cannot force myself to do something well in advance. I, and I've accepted that. And so it doesn't hold a lot of negative uh, energy for me. I know that I'm going to wait and I'm going to do this probably at a later time. Not probably. I'm going to do it at a later time. What's that one like for you? I think I might be as extreme as you. <laughs> not okay. Be bad. Okay. But I have not accepted. I feel bad about it a lot. Okay. And okay. it bothers about that. me a lot. <laughs> Let's talk okay. about that. Well, let me sit on the couch. Let me lay on the couch. <laughs> That's right. Lay down. So, okay. This is such a good idea to therapize on the air in public for me. This is great for me. <laughs> no, just kidding. I'm just kidding. We've talked about like my inability to practice for speeches is like the hardest thing ever. Part of my job. Yeah. I can practice, like I can look, I can make an outline. That's fine because that's like a concrete little task. But for me, it's, I do one thing at a time and I can do that really well. I really struggle to do multiple things at once. So if it's not needed today, yeah, super struggle with that. Super struggle with that. Are you saying though that you beat yourself up about that though? Yeah. So I, I guess I've gotten to that acceptance part where, oh, I will not be doing this. And I look at my wife, for example, if she's given a, a talk to do in church or a lesson, it's let, begin that afternoon. And I just think, oh, that is, that's adorable. But I, there's no way I'm doing that until the night before, the morning before, a morning of, but it has taken a while to get to acceptance. So for you, will you beat yourself up through the weeks leading up to something or will you kind of ruminate about it or what's that like for you? No, it's gotten better in that I think okay. I've seen myself be successful enough yeah. doing it right before that I am able to talk myself down a little bit of be like, this is just kind of how you do it and it works. I still fall into feelings though of I should, I should, I should, I should, I should, shooting okay. on myself, right? Yes, yes. So I know there's progress to be made there, but there is something to be said for having had success doing it my way enough. That's a good point. That's a good point. That I start to, and and I would think for you too, right? But then I have times where I haven't prepared as much and then it is really easy for me to feel really frustrated with myself when I'm like, ah, that could have gone a lot better, you know, if I had given a little more preparation. So it's a balance, but it's a balance because also you talk about the right kind of difficult, right? Yes, And that makes me think of this. Sometimes it needs to be the right kind of difficult where I just, I really need a deadline. And it's, for me, it's not a lack of having things to do. I always Mm. have more I want to be doing. So it's not like I'm Netflixing for four days and then I go and do it on Friday when it's due. It's like, I'm cleaning the house. I'm 
getting ready for my son's field trip that day. I'm making sure that books are in stock, but I, yeah, I struggle without a more immediate deadline. It's easier. Or if I play little games, that helps. Okay. What, like what? I give myself little deadline games. Like I'm like, well, I think about writing my book. I had to write it in Uh three and a half months from when I got the contract. Right. Yeah. And so I would say, you know, no matter what during these hours, I'm going to go and write in the morning. I'm always going to do that. And would that work for you? No, it actually didn't. Okay. I was going to say, Julie, (laughs) you're, whatever you just did, we got to tell the whole world because this, you just solved it. Okay. Okay. (laughs) No, it actually didn't. You're right. How did I do it? Hang on. I had a game that I played. I started with that and that didn't work, but it was like when, I don't know. I just, okay, maybe nothing works. I don't know. I think I'm just all over the place. (laughs) I love it in a good way though. Okay. But this is what's so fun. Okay. And then you get it done and that's what's. Do get it done. Yeah. Because yes. I have to tell you, the, my I never my pay secret, late yes. fees. I never pay late fees. I never like. Oh. I always. <laughs> oh, tell me about this. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna go lay down. Hold on. Okay. No, like I. Well, but there's fear about money on that one, so we'll talk okay. about that on a different episode. <laughs> but no, I always am. Like I'm always late, and I'm always almost paying a late fee, and I'm always right. Okay. But there is some serious fear about. I don't want to pay a late fee that I usually don't. Yeah. I don't think I'm helpful in this episode at all. I think Julie, it's just, it's a mess. You're more helpful than you know, because I think this is the part <laughs> where when people listen and they come in, especially because I talk with so many people about this, where mm-hmm. they almost do feel like it has to be a certain way, but these paradoxes are this sort of thing. So what's funny is I think we've joked before about, I don't know where this one comes from, but I am not only on time, but my joke is my wife says, well, why don't you go ahead and go the day before? So that way, you know, you'll make sure you're there early. And if I'm like going to go the day before, might as well go two days before, you know, and that's the joke where I have it. I don't really know where that came from, but I remember taking the assessments as an adult and the therapist who first assessed me before I took the, like the psychological evaluation, she was saying, you're really, you're never late. And I'm like, oh no, I was, I, you know, I was even in the waiting room half an hour before and I'm, you know, that sort of thing. And she just said, okay, that's one of those things that you've learned to, to adapt. And so that's one where, you know, so then I, by nature, I could check those boxes and it's like, well, then you don't really have ADHD other than every other symptom is there. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know, let me, I, I could go. It's so like me different. being clean. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Me being clean. And there's stuff about that from childhood for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so if we go back to the paradoxes, maybe if I go on and share some of the others, I want you to just maybe go ding, 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 if you know, which ones okay. are these, right? And let's just kind of have fun with this one. Mm-hmm. The first one it talks about is unexplained underachievement. So the person is simply not doing as well as innate talent and brain power warrant. There's no obvious explanation like poor eyesight or serious physical illness or cognitive impairment due to a head injury. And that's one where I feel like my first 10 years of being in the computer software industry that I cared nothing about you know, that I then get out on my own. And I feel like I'm so underachieving based off of going and speaking at different places at that point. And I was writing a newspaper column and I was doing all these things, but it was like such underachievement. And I feel like that's one of those paradoxes to go from, I could go speak and write and have all this validation. And then my 10 hours or eight to 10 hours a day of my job, I thought, well, I should be a better whatever. I was a PR director, sales director of a software company. And why am I not killing it there, but I can go kill it on these other things. So like this, there was no consistency there, which was pretty fascinating. So if you have to look at the concept of underachievement, does that one ring a bell at all? Totally. Like I'm a very, yeah, I can be like really smart. (laughs) That doesn't sound super smart. So as an elementary school teacher, Mm -hmm. not good. 
Oh, I forget that you were, okay. What was that like for you? I struggled so much, but I'm like a nice person. So I like like kids and I'm like pretty bright and I'm really creative and I can be fun. That's a great example. But man, like sitting and preparing lessons that are all kind of done for me and it just tells me how to do it, like banging your head against the wall, (laughs) such a struggle. And so because of that, I wasn't a great teacher. Like, I think the kids felt loved by me, but Uh I was just so stinking bored. Okay. No, I didn't know this. That's some, that's gold right there. Cause I would look at you and think you would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I can be, I can be, (laughs) if I want to be like, I, this is funny because I'm about to sub my kids class. I'll try to, if my kids teachers are going to be out of town, they know to kind of call me because especially having my kids 50-50 custody, you know, it's another opportunity for me to see them. And it's still cool, right? For mom to teach. Like they're like, this was my mom, you know, I'm like, this is going to go away in a couple of years. So we're going to milk (laughs) it. So I'm actually teaching Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week, which is a lot for me. And I'm a little bit stressed about because I actually don't enjoy it, but I do it because it's Sam's class. So I'm going to do it. But man, I subbed once last week for a friend I've only done it twice this school year. Like this isn't a common thing for me, Yeah. Uh, but I did it for a friend last year or last week. And literally like the first two hours, I was like feeling all the feels. I was like, oh, the teacher thing. I've missed it. Like, hi, I'm just like so fun with all the kids. <laughs> After lunch, I was like, I hate everything. I hate this. <laughs> I, I hate it. I remember. I hate it. Yeah. And it's because like, it's the lack of creativity of what makes me tick. Yeah. And I just need a different kind of, it, it's not, the cr- it's not creative enough for me. It's all spelled out. It's Kate and we aren't talking about stimulus today, but as I was reading different yeah. literature about ADHD, the constant stimulus of the noise of the kids, like I have my own kids and I love them and, and we are crazy. Like I'm can be very loud and joking, yeah. but there's like an uncontrolled stimulus touching feeling yeah. by little kids is very different than the stimulus of like a crowd of adults. Right. Boy. Yeah, for sure. So I just super struggled as a teacher of little kids. Yeah. I love your honesty about that because I feel like that's one that might be even hard from a kind, nice person like yourself to say that stuff. So then imagine, I can only imagine if you were, were you beating yourself up about that, you know, when you were, yeah. yeah, Oh yeah. And kids would, you know, parents would say, they said, you're their favorite teacher still. The kid's like in the eighth grade at this point. And I hear that and I'm like, dude you did not have a very good teacher. Like, I think yeah. that's the things that I, I felt like a fraud. Cause I'm like, I come yeah. off so warm and fun and great. And it's like, of course she's going to be a good teacher. And I wasn't a great teacher. I just yeah. wasn't, you know, and not, not no. in that. And yeah. it's the same with church congregation stuff, right? You and I both, we volunteer a lot in our church. Yes. Oh, do not put me in the little kid stuff. Right. <laughs> And I just got asked to volunteer. I'm teaching adults. And you know how stinking happy I am? I'd rather look dumb in front of adults than have to teach kids. But here's the thing. I'm like super, like the neighbor kids come over. I'm giving them all the snacks. I'm like loving it. Yeah. Because it's just a few of them. And it's like on my terms. Like, it's not like I hate children. Right. Right. But as far as having me in my element where I thrive in my career, ooh, no way. That's like, there's momming for me. And I love that. And that's, I use that up on my kids. Yeah. I don't want to be doing that stuff in my career. 
Yeah, I love it. I love your honesty about it. And that's one of those where this is, we were joking before we recorded today too, where then if somebody's like, well, Julie, what you just need to do is, you know, they need to go bless themselves. Like that's adorable, right? You're, you're figuring yourself out. And this <laughs> is why it's not, so fun that we're that's all. That's not what you said. That's I know. not what you said before this interview. You said they should do something else, not go bless themselves. <laughs> oh, you might've, okay, you might've heard it different. <laughs> And that's gaslighting right there. Thank you. <laughs> that's right, it is. I'm just trying to plug my other. Uh, I other didn't really podcasts. say that. I just <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. I did. No, to, actually, Tony no. also has a very successful podcast called "Waking Up to Narcissism," that's where right, he explains right. gaslighting thoroughly, and he just gave a great example of. I did. That was exactly what I was doing, Julie. Thank you. You're What's welcome. funny is then the the next. By the way, though, I'm dead serious. Like that, I'm so grateful. That was the example. I mean, that one is so good, and it's honest to goodness vulnerable, and that takes a lot of courage. And so, if anybody is listening and they say, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe she said that," I mean, that really is like a oh no, this is being real. And when you have grown up with the rejection sensitivity we talked about in the last episode, that then really starting to step into your own, you know, who you are as a person can be so powerful. And that's why I feel like with ADHD when you realize that we are driven to distraction and we do live in this world of paradoxical tendencies. And so then it's like, when I feel that moment where I am vibing, then it's, then you just go for it. You lean into that. And I think that so much of that is like with that acceptance, then when there are the times where then I recognize I'm doing something that it isn't what I really enjoy doing, then I need to take ownership of that because I would rather have somebody in there doing that, that that is their passion. And I'll tell you too, Julie, like when I started as a therapist, shockingly, I was late on finding a, what's called a practicum site where you have to go do your like volunteer therapy when you're still in grad school. Cause mm-hmm. I didn't pay attention and I didn't really understand what that was. So then when I finally did, I worked for a place called the child abuse prevention council of the particular County I'm in. And so then I was working with kids and they would send me to all these trainings and I would get in there and I would, I got really good at Jenga and stuff like that. And I would draw, but I really just wanted to talk to their parents. And these were all people that were court mandated. And so then I would try to talk to the parents. The parents didn't really want to talk to me. And I just realized, okay, but when I'm working with the kids, it just wasn't my thing. And I had such a hard time when I started becoming a therapist saying I didn't want to work with kids. I felt like I was the worst person in the world, but now the people that I refer kid clients too, when somebody asks for referrals are some of the therapists that they feel such a passion for that, that why on earth would I want to pretend that I can work with that kid if there's people that just live for it or love it? And I think that one's like a really interesting thing too. So when you step into that right kind of difficult, then you can really thrive and there's nothing wrong with you for that. Yeah. And I'm realizing, I think that is one piece of how I started to accept that about myself is I started talking to people and believing them when they're like, oh no, like shoot me before I have to work with adults. Like I love working with kids. And I was like, I think they they mean it. So right. if that's yeah. true and I love working with adults, let's just all do our jam. And it doesn't mean that I inherently hate children and that they inherently no, exactly. hate all adults. It's just yeah. where do we thrive in our like career creative environment? And, and it's not with children for me, you know? Yeah. No, but man, so you want to send your kid over to get the best hug and treat in the world. I'm your girl, you know? Yeah. I'm really yeah. soft with kids. I don't want to teach them. Mm-mm-mm. Okay. There's so many here, Julie, as I'm looking through this, I want to just go through and tell me which ones of these really resonate. So I think we've kind of alluded to the high degree of creativity and imagination. So people with ADHD at any age often possess intellectual, they, he says, effervescence. Unfortunately, this natural sparkle can be snuffed out by years of criticism, reprimands, redirection, lack of appreciation, repeated disappointments, frustrations, and outright failures. So that's what we talked about last week, but I love the way that was put. But tell me if this one is with you at all. And I really, this one, I was one of those, I think, 
what you felt maybe last week. I remember the first time I read this. It says, strong will, stubbornness, refusal of help, that it can seem stunningly stupid. I love how the author says that. But many people with ADHD, especially men, state outright, I'd rather fail doing it my way than succeed with help. I don't know. Has that been anything that's resonated with you? Or are you good yeah, with the help? Yeah, for sure. No, okay. I'm getting better with the help. Once again, this is hard for me to figure out because there's also some other things at play. Yeah. Right? Psychologically. Yeah, totally. But that absolutely rings true for me that I am I can be pretty stubborn. I have learned to ask for help. Once again, this is just a coping tool, though, of learning to get my needs met, learning yeah. how to ask other people to help me fill those needs and, and take responsibility for my own needs. Yeah. But yeah, no, there's some correlation. No question. I think the rejection sensitivity, and I think you can see why I, last week's episode, I think was so necessary or important to lay out early, because if we're still working from this place of we're so sensitive to rejection that we can't overcome it, then you would, I think you could see that the refusal to help is, well, I don't want to somebody to tell me a different way to do it. Cause that means they think what I'm doing is wrong and I'm, I'm already bad at that. So, so th this is where I think that concept of uh, being differentiated of knowing that, okay, I'm having a reaction. I'm having my feelings based on somebody else saying something. And when I can start to reframe that and say, okay, that's cool. Like what, what are the feelings coming up? And is there any truth in that? Or what can I learn from this? So if somebody, if I'm asking for somebody for help and then they say, well, I think you should do it this way. And we were talking again off, off the air that when it has to be somebody you feel safe or you trust or, mm -hmm. and th at that point, then I'm asking for their help, but they really don't know what it feels like to be me. So they're just offering up solutions and I can take them or I can say, okay, I appreciate that. I'll think about that. But it doesn't mean that that means I'm wrong or I have to do what they say, or they'll be mad at me. Or and you can see, I think where that rejection part can come into play with any of that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's interesting as I'm responding to questions, it kind of occurred to me that it's almost like. I've had what, like 12 years of fairly consistent therapy, a lot of CBT, mm -hmm. some yeah. EMDR, um, EFT, but because of that, it's almost like, but we were always going at it from an angle of childhood trauma, susceptibility mm -hmm. to anxiety and depression. Right. And so then you get at the end of this and I get an ADHD diagnosis and now like I've learned all these tools, but now I'm looking backwards saying, oh, this is a different angle on all of this. So do I have all of these tendencies with ADHD? 100%. And now how do I, I balance the understanding of where they come from with the tools? Because the tools are still a good thing, but having the understanding, maybe it, I'm a little more accepting of just me. Yeah. And um, that it's not a even traumatic thing, that it just... Is. is maybe it kind of uh, evens yeah. it out a little do you know what i'm saying oh uh, not only do i know what you're saying but you just said so many deep things to from, from my angle because this is the part where as a cbt therapist for seven or eight years and now as an act therapist for another decade and i don't know if for our listeners if we've gone into much of that but cbt is the change your you know your thoughts lead to emotions and emotions lead to behaviors yeah, cognitive yeah, yeah. So yeah. Therapy. So yeah. you just change. So instead of feeling this way, just look at it this other way. And then mm -hmm. as a CBT therapist, I mean, it does feel good in a room. So if somebody says that the, the person didn't call me and so they must hate me, 
then I can say, or what are some other reasons why? And they might say, okay, well, yeah, sometimes their phone runs out of battery or sometimes they, you know, they get caught up at work or then, then in the moment that person in my office will go, it's okay. Yeah. That does feel a little bit better. So then they will, their, you know, their thought leads to an emotion. You change the thought leads to a different emotion. And the emotion is like, okay, maybe they aren't, they don't hate me. And then a behavior of, I, I guess I'll go and interact with the world. But then that person, you know, later that night when they're per, the, the person they're so worried about still hasn't called them, they go to the, actually, I think they hate me, you know, and they say, Oh my gosh, I can't even do therapy. Right. And so act acceptance and commitment therapy says, yeah, it makes sense. I would feel like I would feel rejection too. Like you start from a place of acceptance that there's nothing wrong with you. It's not your stinking thinking or your automatic negative thoughts, but then it's like, uh, but then what are your value-based goals? If it's connection, then I've got this acceptance that, yeah, that kind of stinks and, and it does feel bad, but then I can go and I can take action on things that matter to me. And as I do, then I'm learning to then you know change the relationship with my thoughts. So now I can have all the thoughts and feelings I want and emotions. They can be big, they can be small, but I'm making meaning on some and, and not others. And so that's where I do feel like sometimes the A tool, I was going to call it the wrong tool, but just change your thoughts to somebody that has rejection sensitivity, that has impulsivity, you know, that, that can go into a little bit of a, a downward spiral with that. It can actually be more, I think more damaging is such a strong word, but it can be more damaging than good because I think a lot of people with ADHD then feel like, man, and now I can't even therapy well. I bet my therapist is going to be pretty disappointed. So then I have to go back the next week and say, no, I'm feeling a little bit better. It's like, uh, I think it's working. Then the therapist goes, good. I am a good therapist. Let's keep doing this. And then the person's like, hey, I just got to try harder, you know, but if it's not really working, you can see where it can start to just, I don't know, it's almost like it compounds upon itself. Yeah. And like, I feel like I'm pretty intentional in what I say and do for the most part. I guess I'm impulsive too, but like when I do something that is non healthy in the therapeutic world, I like know immediately. And mm-hmm. I think not because I'm a therapist, but I think because I've done so much therapy. And yeah. so it's sometimes it's hard to live because it's, there's just not a lot of slack in general for misbehavior yeah. for me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I'm like, I know exactly why that's unhealthy, what I just did. But except I like this act because acceptance is kind of like, yeah, I just chose to do that. Well, okay. I've, I've literally thought the thing I've heard you say this before. I heard you say this. I think you were referencing talking to someone with a pornography addiction, uh-huh. but I did a behavior I don't like, not pornography, but something else. Yeah. Like, that's not what this episode's going into. But I did something I didn't, I don't know, maybe I like emotionally ate or I don't know. And I'm not okay. trying to sure. laugh about any addiction or numbing behavior, but I did something and I, I heard you in my head and I said, oh, well, it turns out when Julie stays up on October 14th yeah. till 3 a.m. in the morning watching this trashy TV show because she's lonely and at least the TV's on, she's going to eat way too many Oreos. Yeah. It turns out that's what always happens like, that. on October 14th. Every single time. Right? Every yeah. every single time on October fourteenth, she's gonna do it, and it was amazing how that like took so, the power out of it instead of just being like, Ugh, right? But just being like, <laughs> oh, I love that. That Julie. happened. All right, that happened. Now, yeah, right, and that. Oh, now we know now that. I can move forward. Know? Yeah. So the mm-hmm. and that's why I always say. So the next time that it's October fourteenth and you're watching uh, trashy TV at three a.m. by yourself, <laughs> then probably don't have the Oreos around. Or yeah. the even cooler part with acceptance of is like, oh no, this is the time where I eat these bad boys. This like, is when I on. do this. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And it does take the, a lot of the what's wrong with me out of it because yeah. you're just being and doing. But this actually leads to to like this 
I think this is really interesting because this is, leads to what we were talking about a little earlier. So generosity. So as painful as the distortions we carry around can be, we also carry around a pocket full of miracles, a positive energy that comes and goes. But when it comes, we are the most generous people that you'll ever find, the most optimistic, the most enthusiastic. And Hollowell says, yes, ironically, although we tend to reject help from others, see the previous example, we are the ones who offer the shirt off of our back to the person who needs it, whether we know them or not. And it's why so many of us excel in, it's funny because he says sales, I was a horrible salesman, but we can be charismatic, infectiously funny, persuasive, and just what you need if you're feeling low. And I think we were joking before about talking about acceptance. I've come to the acceptance of, I will not be saying no to anyone about anything in my family. Not going to happen. Can't do it. I'll just work harder and do more. And so that's a thing. And what did I say? I said, well, it sounds like maybe you're not going to. And you're like, oh, no, I will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I will be eating the Oreos. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. I will be, you know, if my kid says, dad, can I? I'm like, yes, you can. And they're like, should I finish the sentence? No, not really. <laughs> no, you know, really it's matter. a yes. Yeah. Which I mean, and, and currently I'm operating from a place of acceptance with that. And I love how somebody then starts to let me know that I just need to set boundaries or I just need to, I don't know, I just start to laugh internally. It's like, oh, I've never thought of any of those things, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Or you say things like, what was it you just said? Go bless go yourself. Give yourself a hug. Go bless yourself. Oh, there yourself. you go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. We're going <laughs> to pretend that's what you said. Go bless yourself. Okay. Yeah. Hey, here's one that I don't know. Here's one that you, okay, you be the therapist and we'll, well, I know we'll We're wrap still, this up pretty quick. And these are all still paradoxes, right? Paradoxes, paradoxes yeah. So, okay. So generosity. So the, Wait, what's yeah. the, what's, oh, the paradoxes that sometimes have a hard time accepting help, but give this shit yep, off. But then back. we give, Got yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. Except gotcha. for, mm-hmm. yeah. See, and then my, it's funny, I'm skipping over the next one, which is I was about to do, but it talks about a unique and active sense of humor. And so when I said, give the shirt off my back, I'm like, you know what though? I'll give the overshirt, but not the undershirt because I'm not really looking good with my love handles right now. So the next thing that it talks about is when you get tested, this one would come up often. And I don't think that this was an issue with me, but I, I've started to have different thoughts about it. So tell me what you think. It says trouble sharing and playing with others early on, but at the same time, a desire to make friends. So as life progresses, social problems can develop due to trouble, reading the social scene, the inability to control the impulses to interrupt or butt in. And adulthood, this translates to seeming gruff, awkward, rude, self-centered, unfiltered, or aloof, but it's really just the undiagnosed and untreated ADHD that's causing the problems. This is why we call ADHD such a good news diagnosis. So once you know you have it and you find the right help, life can only get better and uh, often much better. But that trouble sharing or the, you know, in the diagnosis questions, they talk about trouble sharing or turn taking or waiting till it's your turn. And I've always just uh, uh, put that as like impulsivity, but I don't know. Does that one bring up anything for you? Mm-hmm. Like the turn taking, does it? Okay. Or sharing or any of that stuff? Yeah. Oh, uh, talking out of turn. Yeah. 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 Okay. I do that one a lot. That one's real big. Well, and it's, once again, this is hard to say, right? Because I have my dad's side of the family is very like Italian. He's from New Jersey. They're very like Italian, as you can imagine. And so I go there and I'm like a mute there. I go to the East Coast and I'm like, is this what it's like to be around me? Like, I'm just, I'm just watching tennis the whole time. And I just don't even talk hardly. You know, and then they're like, you know, Julie, I'm like, yeah. And then they're already on top of me. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Like, I'm so, so overwhelmed, (laughs) but I love them and they mean well. And so I've always thought that's like, is there like genetics with that? But not all my siblings are like that. Some are a lot like me that way, but no, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've seen a lot. I guess I'm saying I've seen a lot of that modeled for me too, like interrupting people and talking over people, but it's a big struggle. It's something I'm currently really working on. 
you know, we were just on a walk and my wife and I were before this and we were talking to my daughter and a couple of times I'm just blurting in stuff. And my wife kind of is looking over at me like, you know, hey, chill a little bit, you know? And it's funny because in the previous impulsivity or uh, rejection sensitivity days, I might've been like, geez, you know, but I'm like, she had a good point. That's a, that's a very good point. I think I could probably chill, yeah. chill a little bit more, right? There must um, be like a safety in your relationship then that like your value and her love for you isn't on the table, right? I think so. Yeah, I think that's a really good way. Okay, let's do speed cool. around. There is a susceptibility to addictions and compulsive behaviors. So that's mm-hmm. one that uh, is what, what a joy. Transparency to the, the point of being honest to a fault. Any, okay, tell me. I figured you might have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> a good one. What do you mean? That's my entire I don't even life. know. Okay. <laughs> There's this quote in this movie that I love. One of my, probably my favorite movie is called The Odd Case of Timothy Green. And it's, what... anyways, it's about this little boy that shows up at these people's house. And anyways, no one can know the origin of his story, which he, he grows in a garden. So just, there you go. You find spoiler. that out. It's not a spoiler. But oh. <laughs> so she says, she's like putting socks on him. He's about to meet all the family. She's putting socks over the leaves coming off his legs. And she said, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a tendency to overshare. And I always love that quote because that is that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isn't it awesome though? Here's the thing. I feel like I've been able to help a lot of people because I am pretty honest and open. Yeah. I've had times when I felt I've overshared and it hasn't felt good. So there's some boundaries that I put in place there, but I, I don't know how else to be. I don't want to be anyone else, but real and me. I think the only trouble can come Brene Brown. She does a great job of talking about this, where she talks about someone getting on stage and this, obviously I think about this cause I, I speak on stage for a living, but they get on stage and they just therapize like stuff they haven't processed at all. Oh, like yeah. there's things you and I both don't talk about on podcasts because it's sure. like, no, yeah. there's not healing there. And that wouldn't be helpful to listeners. It's not about just showing what, it, like, I'm just going to talk about whatever's hardest in my life. Cause then the audience can feel that. And that does not feel good. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. you share stories for a reason that yeah. you've got some healing and understanding and processed about So I guess that's, I think, where the oversharing you need to be careful with. And I can't say I've never not overshared in a way that I was like, no, that was too much. But yeah, I have a tendency to overshare. I can share a lot. And you know what? The people that are closest to me, I think that's one reason they love me so much. Why they're attracted to me is that I'm pretty open and honest. And what you see is what you get. And I'm kind of the same person on stage that I am at home with my kids. And it's all just kind of one flowing thing. And I don't really want to live another way. So, but I, I have found value in having privacy about some things for sure. Okay. I love it. So the, uh, so I think that you, you've done a nice job of really that alone explaining the paradox because there can be that tendency to overshare, but then there's almost an acceptance of that. But if this is who I am, then I am going to that, that one's where maybe I'm going to accept the fact that there may be times where that may feel more like oversharing, but I'd rather default to, this is what it feels like to be me. And, and I've noticed that for me, the, there's only been a tiny bit of maybe looking for a, a differentiated view there where I've recognized, okay, am I sharing this from a place of vulnerability or from a place of wanting validation? And I feel like once I can get to an acceptance of this is just who I am and I'm not looking for validation, then I'm sharing from a place of vulnerability because then I feel like it feels pretty safe that if somebody says, oh, I can't believe you shared that, then that's where I tell them to go bless themselves. Okay. You said that perfectly. It's so true. Why am I sharing it? That's the issue. Why am I sharing it? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. And then the one quick funny thing that you reminded me of when you were talking about, yeah, if the speaker gets up there, it makes it awkward or that sort of thing. The fun that I can do is I can always say that a client told me once, and that's if I really feel like I need to work something out in a podcast or on stage, then it's like, then I just have to sometimes check myself where like, and then I said, mom, you, I mean, they said, mom, you know, that's, then I know that at least I got a little bit of an outlet. Okay. Julie Lee, what a joy. These are, these are getting more fun every time. I, I hope that I will have troubles hooking up my computer every time so that we can even talk more in the frustration so that we can get on here and be more real. So I appreciate your, your honesty, your real time processing of this next week's going to be amazing as well. And then take us home, Julie, the love ADHD. Dear. Ted, I am your friend. And because of me, sometimes you do have a tendency to swing from different extremes. And that's okay. That's interesting. In fact, that makes you very interesting. One thing that you may receive messages about from the people around you is that you are very honest and you tell your story more honestly than maybe other people do. And in the moment, maybe you don't even care as much about what other people think. And I just want you to know that there's a ton of value in that and that there are going to be people in your life that are really, really going to need your authenticity and your willingness to be honest about who you are and what matters to you. And that that's something that you can value about yourself, you can lean into, and you can decide for yourself what things you like to keep private and what things you like to share. And that the people that are aware and that have good intuition to sense your goodness and your good intentions, that they will be everything you need. And they're the ones that will stick by you. And so you're going to have awesome friends and an awesome circle where you can be exactly who you're supposed to be. Love ADHD. Boom. And everybody else can go bless themselves. <laughs> Next time we will do part four of things you didn't know. You didn't know about ADHD. That's right. We will. And we're going to do, and we're going to get right on it. And yes, all we the are. faith in the world. Okay. Julie, have an amazing week. You too. Thanks. Okay, all right. We'll see you. Bye-bye.